Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Father, I just want to thank you for the privilege of being able to share your precious word this morning. And my simple prayer is, come Holy Spirit and speak through me today to challenge all of our hearts. Lord, we open up our hearts to you, and uh, we pray that you will speak through me into our hearts this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll leave you have your Bibles this morning if you'd like to turn to John 13. And in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you'd like to turn to John 13, I want to read just a few verses as we start a brand new series uh, today. John 13, verse 1 says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Amen. And may God bless the reading of His Word. I've felt for a number of years now that while we seek to lift up the Lord Jesus in our preaching on a weekly basis, and we do, um, and we generally make an invitation for people to come to know the Lord Jesus, and, and uh, Elizabeth shared a very, very great story this morning and uh, around about that in, in John chapter 4. I also feel that, that uh, it's good for us from, from time to time to have a, more of a focus on Jesus Himself and His works and His words, and that's what our new series is intending uh, to do. We want to uh, share with you over the next few weeks uh, a message with Jesus in the upper room or in the upper room with Jesus. And uh, I'd like, like to give some context to this, to set the scene, to give some preliminary things. So today will be more of an introduction as we embark on this great uh, journey looking through these amazing chapters. Uh, it's been said that the Synoptic Gospels, and th- that's a term for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, show us Jesus' body. The story from the outside, if you like. But John gives us the inside scoop, the inside story. And these are Jesus' final hours. He's with his closest friends, participating in a meal that would have lasted several hours. These are memorable hours with the Master. It's been said as one reads through the Gospel of John, the shadow of the cross grows longer and darker. Until now, the reader stands at the foot of the cross on the evening before the crucifixion. In just a few short hours, that's somewhere between 15 and 24 hours, our Lord would be suspended between the sky and earth as a sin-bearer of mankind. So I'd like to introduce this topic by asking us to think about what we would be saying if it was our final hours, and, and to give some insight into how some people have lived their lives and what they've said in relation to their final hours. 
For example, the last recorded words of Peter, the disciple and apostle, uh, who reputedly was crucified upside down in Rome, were, and we can read that in the New Testament, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Sir Winston Churchill's final words were, I'm bored with it all. Karl Marx says, go on, get out. Last words are for fools. Harry Houdini said, I'm tired of fighting. Humphrey Bogart said, I should have switched from scotch to martini. And I just want to say that that's not my endorsement uh, this morning, just for clarity. Frank Sinatra says, I'm losing it. George Best says, don't die like me. Once a month, we have LEAD, which is a leadership school where we, where we tune in to some of the best teaching all over the world, uh, and uh, then we try and unpack it a little just by conversing together so that we can uh, rivet home the, the, the teaching that's there. And this week, we were, we were looking at uh, some great teaching, and, and uh, the final words of uh, Lord Horatio Nelson uh, were mentioned, and his final words uh, were, God, I thank you, I've done my duty. And probably the most interesting words, certainly for me as a Christian, are the last words of the Emperor Julian, who after resisting and opposing Christianity in the Roman Empire declared, you have won, O Galilean, and he always will. And that would be a word to all our politicians. That was an inspiring prayer that you prayed earlier on, uh, Stephen, for our politicians. Uh, he will win in the end. So these chapters are... Uh, we're about to consider among the final words of the Lord Jesus. He's in anguish for the disciples whom he loves, whom he must soon leave. And he's imparting to them comfort. He's imparting to them instruction and giving them hope. And cascading down through the years, that same instruction, comfort, and hope comes to us. Because we are his disciples too. And he speaks and addresses our situation too. The Lord Jesus taught in many ways and in many different places. I'm particularly reminded of Matthew 11:28, 28, where, where he says that we need to learn from him and come to him when we're weary and heavy laden. And so we will learn a lot from this passage here. I believe that in setting this scene, it's vitally important to comment on the position of this narrative in John's gospel. And then later on, I'll mention in Luke's gospel, the five chapters we'll be studying are John 13 to 17. They are known by various names. The upper room discourses. They're called the Holy of Holies of Scripture. Remember in the tabernacle and the temple, there was the outer court, there was the inner court, the, the holy place, and then there was the inner sanctum, which was the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, where the high priest went only once a year and never without blood. And so people see this as the Holy of Holies. They'll also, it's been known as the farewell discourse. They take us to the intimate thoughts of the Lord Jesus just before His crucifixion. And we read that in the opening. It was Passover feast, and Jesus knew the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. It's been said that John's gospel has got a clear shape. That it begins with a prologue, John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And uh, that's a prologue, and it ends uh, with an epilogue. 
when the, when Peter is restored after his, his, his failure, after his fall, after he denied the Lord Jesus, and he's restored to his apostolic ministry. And in between the Gospels, between the prologue and the epilogue, there's two parts, say some. Part one follows the, pro, the, the prologue, and it ends at chapter 12, just before the studies that we're about to embark on. And it's known as the book of signs. The words and works of Jesus point to him being the Messiah and Savior. Seven signs are recording. And part two is the book of the Passion, of the book of glory. And it begins with us being transported to this upper room in Jerusalem on the Thursday afternoon of Passion Week. There are others who say that chapter 13 forms a break in the Gospels. And they would say chapters 1 to 12 deals with the entire ministry of Jesus Christ about three and a half years, whereas chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 cover one night. But we even can go further back to that, and, and, and commentators would point out that really, when you begin in John 1, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus, that that's really the beginning of His life. Not just the beginning of His ministry, the beginning of His life. Uh, right down uh, uh, to chapter 12, and then chapters 5, uh, these five chapters uh, just cover one night, which is interesting. So, 33 years for the first series, and five chapters cover one night. But we even go further than that, because as I've already read and quoted, John 1 begins in eternity. So, so some commentators would say, in a sense, you've got from eternity in, in John's gospel uh, from chapters 1 to 12, and then these five chapters cover only one night. And I hope we're beginning to grasp something of of what I'm trying to convey, the importance of these chapters to us because of the attention that John gives to it, that, he, that almost a quarter of his gospel is devoted to these five passages, these five chapters, a 24-hour period. It's been said that the book of Revelation, which is a revealing of the Lord Jesus in His glory, that what we have here is a revealing of the heart of the Lord Jesus. So what can we learn then from these upper room discourses? Well, if we take that trip to that upper room and uh, on the Thursday, the evening of the day before His crucifixion, Thursday night, 13 men have come together for a Passover meal. Within 24 hours, the Lord Jesus will have been crucified. He will have died. And these five chapters cover intimate teaching on a very, very important subject. Great, great subjects like service, love, the Holy Spirit, heaven, our union with Jesus in prayer. And, and it's one of those nights. Jesus is revealing His heart. He's given them a great insight, some intense one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And before they depart, He will pray the longest recorded prayer in the New Testament, and what many have called the Lord's Prayer, that the real Lord's Prayer is John 17. But there's probably more that we could see uh, from this passage, more in relation to the background, because if we 
take a little jump backwards from John to Luke, we, we will realize that, that Luke, when, in the prologue to Luke, is very interesting because he says he, he's carefully researched and, and he's talked to different people and he's put forward an ordered account for Theophilus, which may be a person or may just simply mean, because it means lover of God, it means for anyone who loves God. And uh, so, so here we have uh, in Luke's gospel here, uh, it, it's very interesting. So the commentators would say that his, his, uh, um, menis, his, his uh, message is arranged to, uh, like uh, topically instead of chronologically. So he, he's put it here for a particular reason. And, uh, and it's really interesting when you look into Luke's gospel, look into Luke, that uh, that you will find that he, he's, he's given a little bit of background into what's happened. He tells us where he places this gospel, that just before that a dispute also arose among them, from which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And so you could picture the scene, that these disciples are arguing about which the, the greatest. The, Bi- the Bible doesn't say that it was a heated dispute, but I would pr- like to imagine and, and think that it would be a heated dispute, that there would be a competitive state of pride among them, that so much so that when they arrive at a house and their feet are all dirty, not one of them is willing to wash the feet of the other disciples. And Jesus fixed their error in the most vivid and dramatic way. And sadly, it looks as if their concern, the concern of the disciples, was only for themselves. They're worrying about prestige. They're worried about prominence. They're worried about power, arguing who would have the great leading positions in the government Jesus was about to set up. And so I could imagine that the discussion was likely heated. The Bible doesn't say that, but there's certainly a dispute. And it's certainly not behavior in keeping with a true follower of Jesus. Because Paul writes to us in Philippians 2, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That is a great statement. But in lowliness of mind, he's writing to you and me, let each other esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, it's a very, very challenging part of the Bible. And then it goes on to speak about how Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, which many commentators see actually what happened here as an actual outworking of that while he was undergoing his ministry here on this earth. But let's think more about this, that it's scary to think that these men into whom the Lord Jesus had walked and talked discussed as they went along the way, poured his life into, that after three and a half years of ministry, what are they debating? Have they got it? Has the light bulb moment been switched on? No, they're arguing about who would be the greatest. And the biggest scary thing for me is that these kind of thoughts can come into our hearts and lives too, for however long or short we've walked with Jesus. And this was by no means an isolated incident. This is not the only recorded place in the Bible where we find the disciples portraying such behavior. Because in Matthew 18 and 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It seemed to be continually at the front of their mind about who was greatest. And then they sent their mother the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. 
Like, if you ever, when people come to me and say, Michael, can I ask you a favor? I say, uh, tell me what it is. I'm never going to say yes unless you tell me what it is. Do you say yes? No. Well, I think you're wise to say no. And, and so they put their mother up to it. And probably the others were indignant that their mothers didn't get up to it as well. And, they, and it says, when the ten heard, they were indignant with the two brothers. Mark 9.33, it's the same. Mark, Luke 9.46. And, and so we could go over and over again that this kind of behavior was there among the apostles wondering who would be the greatest. And Jesus had to tell them, and this, Luke then says this, he says, he called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. So Jesus is saying, it works differently in my kingdom. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is what he says. He says, out in the world it's like this. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. They are the big bosses. They are in charge. This is how it is. And ultimately, most of that is self-exalting. And he says, it's different with you. He says, it's a totally different situation. The greatest should be like the younger. And the younger didn't have a seat at the table, didn't have a chance in the system. It was very, very different in that situation. And the idea of being benefactors, that's how one of the translations puts it. It says, it's the idea of getting credit. So what happens is, Jesus is saying, out in the world, people stand on top of each other to get to the top. And they love the credit. They love the applause. But he says, it's totally different with you. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. It's, it, it, it doesn't matter about that at all. He says, for who is greater, he then says, he who sits at the table, or he who serves. So out in the world, it's he who sits at the table. So I was telling the first congregation that doing some research on that, I found that, that in many parts of the world, that, that your great wealth was recognized by how many servants you had. And in China, at one particular time, there were people who used to grow their nails so long that they couldn't do any work. So it was obvious that they needed servants to do the work for them. So just picture it. If the prime minister goes on holidays for four weeks, <coughs> which is not without with the realm of possibility, or a first minister, you need to ask yourself, is things going to fall apart when they're on holiday? And the answer is no, generally. But I'll tell you what, if the refuse collectors go on, go on strike for, for a month, you'll know a difference. And I'll know a difference. When we beasties start crawling about your house and, and out your bin, and little furry friends come start and visit on your doorstep. You'll notice a difference. And, and, and so Jesus says, it's, it's very different in my community from what it is out there in the world. He's trying to rearrange our thinking, our priorities. Living as a servant is really the best way to live. When we're no longer concerned for our own honor and credit. When we don't walk around with hurt feelings and uh, disappointed expectations because if all we want to do is serve, there will be ample opportunity. We will always be opportunities to serve. Do we all agree Jesus knows best? Yes. yes. So Jesus isn't saying that if you serve in a lowly place, 
you'll be given a great place. He is saying that in God's eyes, the lowly place is the great place. That is remarkable. And so how much of a servant are we? How much of a servant am I? I should never measure my service against other people. I should measure it against Jesus. And when people treat me as a servant, I heard somebody once say this, that's usually a good indication of how good a servant we are, what rises up within us. And so it's more than singing it. It's more than saying it. Promise and performance have to match. Faith and actions have got to, got to go together. Followers of Jesus must live and act like Jesus, or else we become like the rain clouds that, that gather in the sky in drought-filled lands, but never actually pour down the rain. They were caught up in ambition. They were caught up in themselves, looking for power, looking for authority. And traditionally, if you grew up in the, in the journey, the Christian journey I grew up in, worldliness was a whole set of rules and regulations about things that you didn't do, like smoking and drinking and things like that, going to the movies and dancing. When I was, when I was uh, little, and I know I'm not shouting all that things out just now, I'm just saying that's how it was when, 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 when I was first saved. But uh, Jesus brings out that worldliness is a type of thinking that's got entitlement thinking. It's a totally different perspective. It's a title. It's a, I deserve position. I deserve power. It's a totally different kind of mindset. And, and as you see, so little time left for them to learn that the way to glory is through service and not through position and authority. And how does he do that? And by washing the feet of the disciples, he gives them a pictorial example, an example of what it is like. And he could have easily responded, hey guys, stop all this nonsense about who's the greatest. Like, I'm the greatest. But he didn't do that at all. He demonstrated to them that true greatness and leadership is servitude. And as I read once, a serving Savior should have a serving church. So looking through our eyes, how ambitious are we for our own reputation or position? Are we queuing up to serve? How keen are we to make Jesus famous or is it all about us, all about Jesus? Do we do things to be seen by men? Is it so really important that others know what we've done? Or is it so important we say, Jesus, I do this for you? Jesus taught that his way is very different from the world's way, as I've mentioned Philippians 2 already. And, and that's, that's a passage where he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, and he took upon himself the nature of a servant. And a lot of people think that, that Philippians 2 is actually the background. He's acting out that here in this particular uh, situation. So his way contrasted the Pharisees. Pharisees loved many things. They loved the praise of men. They loved money. They love the best seats. And Jesus said, in his kingdom, it's different. So imagine, we've got a church buffet. And your favorite curry is on the menu. It's, it's, your mouth is watering. And also macaroni cheese is on the menu, which you can't stand. So it's your favorite curry and macaroni cheese. And you know that it's roughly 50-50. Because there's people really love macaroni cheese. And you're hoping that you're one of these 50 that's getting 50% that's going to get the it's going to get this favorite curry. And so it's almost time to line up. Stephen said to Grace, there's older people here in the church. There's people who are not as quick off the mark as ourselves. There's people with disability. There's guests who we should always uh, 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 let first. And then when the graces said, 
we are off like Usain Bolt. Like, I'm going to get my curry. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it is. The Bible says, in honor, we prefer one another. Romans 12 and 10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So think back to our, our uh, a pulled pork day and, and for our centenary. And think, where was I in that line in that particular day? Was I off like Usain Bolt? Or did I look around and say, who else could I help? You see, I think these kind of teachings of Jesus, which are really important, can all be swamped up in what we are in the the West. What causes strife and divisions among you? Ask James in James 4, 1-3. Exactly the kind of, of uh, attitude that was displayed by the, the disciples here. <coughs> Selfish ambition, old carnal fleshly nature, and the deceitful heart. And, and I could go on. I actually have got prepared stuff here regarding Abraham and Lot in the book of Genesis and how Abraham allowed Lot to make a choice in honor he preferred one another. And in and, and, and Corinthians where it speaks about when, when people do things against us and, and, uh, and, and, and there's disputes with others and taking other people before the law courts and stuff like that. And, and, and Paul says, in front of unbelievers, like you've been completely defeated already. And so there's lots of things that we could have looked at at this in relation to this. But all through the Bible, we see people that grasped it. That back at, with Abraham in the Old Testament, even under the Old Covenant, he understood this kind of principle. And Jesus certainly exemplified it. And as I mentioned, Philippians 2. And we mention here, as we may look at in the days that lie ahead, what he did, prepare to wash the feet of the disciples. And uh, such a beautiful picture. Jesus knew that a time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And our time has come too, so the band can come, and I'll just give it, finish with a couple of quotes like, and a couple of observations. The timing of all this is important. If you look at, this, at the passage we read at the beginning, Jesus speaks about His time has come. And so, Willie gave an interesting uh, intro today. Good job, Willie. And he, and he said about all the different people he was glad for. You know, I'm glad for every person who serves in Found Church. In all kinds of ministry. There have been people today who have given up their time, served in the kids' work, served in the crash. People come up and give their time up on a Friday night. They drive the minibus. They come and serve, teach our kids. People give up time in the youth, for, for youth. People give up time to lead life groups, to go and visit people, to care for people, to, to give for meals to people that, that come out of hospital. And, and, and all of these kind of different opportunities are there for us in the church. As I began to prepare this message in, in December, I'd done a couple of funerals that week, and one of the funerals was held in the church here because the undertaker's place was being renovated. I was thankful for people who willingly said, I'll go on the door. People who willingly said, I'll serve in sound. People who were willingly uh, prepared to play their instruments. And thank God for every single one of them every week. They deserve a, a round of applause for the work that they do week in, week out. You know, this service t- happened today. There's a whole dose of administrative things in the background. A whole dose of stuff has is, is, is happened in advance. Musicians have prepared their hearts. Come along, prepare to serve. Stay for two services. Be here for quarter nine in the morning. And okay, people have set out seats, set out communion, and people will tidy up afterwards. People have made sandwiches. We- week in, week out, all kinds of things happen. And they've got it. 
They've understood. You know, I had a friend of mine who used to write, yours privileged to serve. And that's what it is. That's how we've got to see it. You know, as I close, I want to say this. We live in very interesting and challenging times. People are vying for prominence. And I've never seen the world as divided as I've seen it at this moment in time. And whether you go in America, whether you go in the UK, whether you go online, I don't. But I read what other people say about it. And, and, and the world is really divided. You take any hot topics in our nation. You take the topic of independence, which is a hot topic. Our nation is divided. It is. It is. Divided. The stats are about 50-50. Or last week it was 46 to some 54. So it's divided. Take, take lots of different hot potato subjects. Our nation is divided. Very, very divided. But one of the things that's happened post-COVID is a lot of people have wanted to reset their lives. And, and they've, they've looked at what they were doing and they realized they were far too busy before COVID. And, and, and people needed to reset their lives and re- needed to evaluate their lives and spend more time with their families and spend more time with God and important things uh, in our lives. And so it's really, really important. And, 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 and people have done that evaluation. But I'll tell you, friends, we need to be very aware that, that, that volunteerism across the world is going down. And, and I think the enemy has won a, a huge masterstroke if he gets inside your head and tells you that now is the time to pull back serving God. Because I tell you, it's never the time to pull back and stop serving God. It's never the time to do that. Because, because the Bible tells me that this is what Jesus did. And this is what Jesus commanded. It may be different things in different seasons. But our priority. When I sang that song this morning, you will always have my heart, I meant it. You will always have my heart. And so I believe the challenge of today, as we start John 13, the challenge that's laid at our feet is looking at how Jesus did it and how he was willing to serve. And the question that I believe that Jesus is asking you and me today is, how are we doing in service? How is it? How is it? Are we vying for position? Are we looking for recognition? Or are we prepared to take the humble place and be willing to serve and say, here am I, Lord, send me. Father, I pray today that what I've said and shared that, Lord, that you will take and use for your kingdom. The people not feel badgered, hit over the head, or anything like that, but invited into a space with you, like that upper room, where you showed us true greatness equals servanthood. And I pray that you'll flip on our heads, Lord, the attitude of entitlement or position-seeking or things like that, And we'll say, here am I, Lord. Serve me. Send me. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you in a personal way, Lord, I've portrayed you as as the God of glory who is prepared to stoop and seek. And I'm sure we'll open that more in days that lie ahead. Maybe today, Lord, just somebody's realized what you, Lord Jesus, did for us. And they've never given their life to you, but they want to today. And they will say, in light of what you've done for me, Lord Jesus, I want to give my life to you. So forgive me of my sin. 
Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Come into my life and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.